0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. The presenting sponsor of this episode is Wick Realty. Wick Realty is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. Go to wickrealty.com, W I E C K Realty.com. The guest for today's episode is Anthony B. Harris. Anthony Harris is the senior pastor of St. John Baptist Church. Now, St. John is a historically black church located near Carver Elementary School. It's a couple of blocks north of Amarillo Boulevard, and I first met Pastor Harris about a year ago and was really, really impressed with his commitment not just to his church members but also to the larger community surrounding the church. Now he and his family moved to Amarillo in 2012, and under his leadership, St. John has implemented several really exciting social programs. And I'll be real honest, when, when I started this podcast, Pastor Harris was one of the first people I knew I really wanted to interview for this show. So we sat down in his office at the church, and we talked about him coming to Amarillo after living in the Pacific Northwest, about his passion for education as a pathway out of poverty and about the realities of race and segregation in Amarillo. So, poverty, race, religion, I mean these these are big topics for a podcast conversation, but I respect Anthony so much, I wanted to get his perspective on them. I love this episode and I think you will too. So, here is Pastor Anthony Harris. Anthony Harris, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you. I want to talk to you, um, you know, about some of the work that you're doing here in Amarillo through the church. But before we get there, can you tell me just about St. John Baptist Church itself? You know, how, how would you describe the church?
1: Um, St. John Baptist Church is a uh, unique church that sits on the north side of Amarillo. But unlike many of the other African American churches here in Amarillo, It's unique in the fact that uh, many of its members are not from Amarillo. Uh, Most of the African-American churches here in Amarillo are homegrown. Uh, They're from Amarillo, grown up here, been here most of their life. St. John, on the other hand, uh, is unique in the fact that about 75%, 80% of its membership come from outside of Amarillo. Um, As far as Louisiana and various other places, throughout the country. Uh, Most of them um, have come here as a result of Pantex or Bell Helicopter, uh, whether it be the hospital BSA or Northwest, and uh, so they're professional people. Uh, Most of them have engineer degrees, uh, nursing degrees, um, management degrees, things of that nature. And so um, it's unique in the fact that unlike most other African-American churches, um, most people who come here uh, are not from this area. so it is, makes, is that it
0: something that is, um, is deliberate? I mean, or did that just sort it, of happen?
1: I don't know if it was deliberate. I think it kind of just happened. I think it just because of the forward thinking and progressive nature uh, uh, that St. John has internally, uh, cause that to kind of be a good fit for people who are coming here from other parts of the country uh, who may also see things a little different than a smaller community or a smaller city like that of Amarillo. So uh, I think it just kind of by happenstance and uh, natural progression, uh, it just kind of took place.
0: Okay, and you're someone who has also come from another part of the country to end exactly. up in Amarillo. So tell me, tell me your story. Where did you grow up?
1: Well, I was born and raised in Vancouver, Washington, which is the southern part of Washington, the state of Washington, uh, in a little town called Vancouver, Washington, right across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. So I was born and raised there, grew up there. And uh, after going to college, I ended up, in, in accepting my call into ministry, I ended up in Sacramento, California, um, at the young age of 32, pastoring my first church. And um, I was there for about 12 years and then uh, went back to the state of Washington to plant a church from scratch. And uh, planted a church and was there for 10 years. And at the end of that time, uh, we kind of felt that the Lord was leading us to something else. Uh, We had hopes, me and my wife, of going to Virginia. Uh, We loved the East Coast. We loved the Virginia, Washington, DC, Maryland area, in particular Richmond. Uh, area of Virginia, and um, ironically, God has a sense of humor, and before we knew it, uh, we were headed for Amarillo. <laughs>
0: not, not very much like Virginia.
1: <laughs> no, Virginia is very beautiful, similar or to Washington, Washington, I guess. Yeah, yeah, similar to Washington. The fact that it has a lot of trees and water, and of course the ocean and the mountains, and so uh, it was definitely a culture shock uh, when we landed here and wake-up call.
0: How did you get connected to St. John?
1: When I knew my time was running out there in Vancouver at that church plant, and I had taken them as far as I could, and we had grown, and uh, we had just concluded uh, by buying a $1.2 million building, and it paid cash for it Uh, for a new church plant. That's pretty good. Yeah,
0: that's impressive. Uh,
1: We left them debt-free, and um, so our time was up, and— I went on to Southern Baptist. I'm part of Southern Baptist. We went on the Southern Baptist site, and I uh, was looking at churches in the Virginia area, and my father was born and raised here in Texas, and um, something just kept saying, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, and I said, ah, let me see what's in Texas, and I saw this church that says St. John Amarillo, Texas. I didn't even know where Amarillo was, never heard of it. So I got out a map and looked, and there it was. And I said, oh, interesting. So I kind of brushed it off. About a week later, a friend of mine from California called and asked me how the search was going. I told him, not very well. And he said, well, he said, go to a website. And he gave me the name of the website. And I went to the website and was looking in Virginia and just wasn't finding anything. And um, I said, let me look in Texas, see what they got there on this site. And uh, the first very first one was St. John, Amarillo, Texas. And the Lord said, that's where you're going. Hmm. That's kind of how we got here. Uh, however, I did try to resist it once I came and flew in the first time, and all I saw was dust and dirt and flat, rolling little hills. <laughs> so uh, it was really wasn't somewhere I wanted to come, but um, as of now, I'm grateful because God is allowing us to do great work.
0: How long ago was that?
1: That was uh, five and a half years ago. Um, December will be five and a half years. So,
0: you know, growing up, you you mentioned you know the the call to ministry. How old were you when you figured out that this was the direction of your life?
1: I was I was actually called into ministry at the age of thirteen.
0: Thirteen.
1: And um, like a lot of young men who are athletic, I had dreams of being a professional football player. And uh, so I rejected the call and sought to avoid it and did everything I could to keep from engaging in ministry. And um, at the age of 22, uh, the weight of um, the call was so heavy that I no longer could avoid it. I no longer could deny it. And um, I finally accepted it and became our youth pastor uh, at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon. um, it kind of just began to evolve from there. And eight years later, I was the executive pastor, and I did that for two years, and then I was called to my first church in Sacramento, California, where I became the senior pastor. So it's been 35 years now, and I've seen a lot of changes over the years, but I've also uh, have been extremely blessed and rewarded greatly.
0: So let's talk about pastoring in Washington or in uh, Sacramento, and then you know what it's like coming into the Texas Panhandle. You know we're we're right in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. You know what are the differences, whether it's religiously speaking, whether it's the role that church plays in culture. I mean, are there any differences that you see between you know the the Northwest and where we are here?
1: In the Northwest, um, it's quite a different dynamic. Um, The Northwest is very much unchurched. With all of the uh, activities, the outdoor activities uh, that the Northwest offers, whether it's fishing, camping, hiking, um, going to the coast, uh, skiing, mountain climbing, uh, all of those things are a challenge in keeping people engaged in the church. Uh, In fact, um, the last census, only about 4% Those who live in the state of Washington are actively engaged in the church. Um, But what I will say and what I did learn there in the Northwest was once you can get them, they're committed. Once you get them, they're sold out. Um, The church becomes very important to them. And so that, that was the one thing I learned about the Northwest. While it was difficult to get them there, once you got them there, uh, they were locked in. Uh, but with all of the, uh, uh, with the Northwest being very liberal and with all the micro uh, Microsoft and Google and all mm-hmm. the tech companies that occupy the state of Washington, individualism is a big thing there. Um, everything's about me and my, and uh, um, how I can succeed in financial wealth and, um, is a big deal there in the state of Washington, what type of home you have, what kind of car you have. And so um, while there's a lot of advantages in the sense of, of, from a cultural perspective of things to do and opportunities, it's also difficult because a lot of people have an individual mindset uh, that I've got to get minds and it doesn't matter how I get it.
0: And then you came to Texas where we prize individualism (laughs) and self-sufficiency, but maybe in a different way. So tell me Tell me what you found that was different here in Amarillo.
1: When I got here to Amarillo, while there, there is individualism, I also saw a sense of community and cooperation and a desire to want to work together. And um, I, I think for me that's what's been very rewarding. Um, it, it seems like the people of Amarillo really have a sense of community, Um, while there are some systemic problems uh, within Amarillo overall, overall there's people who really want to see Amarillo thrive and grow, and uh, there's a sense of coming together and um, seeking to find ways to make Amarillo a better community. Um, While that existed in Vancouver, it was more about what the individual could get out of it while trying to make the city better where here it's more like we're all in this together and uh let's see how we can make our community to better better together i think that's the difference
0: and the the church plays a much bigger role in the community at least in a place like amarillo yeah. texas is that something it, you found
1: it does the church plays a significantly greater role in amarillo than it ever did in the state of washington Um, While in the state of Washington and uh, even in California, the churches had uh, some of the programs and opportunities for people to gain uh, an upward hand or uh, to be um, helped in many ways. They did not play a significant role as much as the church does here. Uh, For instance, here at St. John, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we were being impactful in the community. We started a Nehemiah Project, a nonprofit separate from St. John, because we also understood that oftentimes corporations and foundations won't give to churches, but they will all ultimately give to a nonprofit. And so in doing so, we were able to start our food pantry and uh, write grants for that. Um, We also have a senior feeding program here Noonday, senior feeding program. Uh, Bivens Foundation provides the food for that. Volunteers operate that. Our food pantry is open twice a month. Our clothes closet is open twice a month. And uh, we get grants and funding from various organizations. Uh, We also have a Cub Scout, Boy Scouts, um, here. And uh, we're able to sow into the lives of young men and teach them accountability, responsibility, and those types of things and uh, our signature program is our college success initiative Uh, that's where annually we do a college bus tour Uh, we take kids from all four high schools here and um, those who are disadvantaged those who often are in poverty and we sponsor a college bus tour uh, throughout the state of Texas and generally we get them anywhere from four to five college campuses and uh, begin to expose them to different cultures, different environments, different parts of the state, uh, also different colleges that allow them to know that these things are possible. Uh, the amazing thing about that is many of those kids who go on the tour for the first time, uh, they've never been outside of the city of Amarillo. Right. And so it's a great opportunity for us to expose them to a world bigger than that of Amarillo. So the church has had a significant impact in those things in helping uh, to impact the community and and lives of those who live within the city of Amarillo.
0: So let's talk about that. You you arrived here <coughs> at St. John. It's a church, you know, where the members are mostly professionals, but you're in a neighborhood that um, you know is is surrounded by poverty mm-hmm. and and you've mentioned before that you think a lot of the people, a lot of the kids in this neighborhood, you know, never really get out of a 5-mile radius right. or, you know, 10-mile radius or right. this side of Amarillo. So people who don't live in a neighborhood like that or who don't come to this side of town? I mean, what, what do people not understand about what it is to live in poverty here?
1: I think people naturally have a uh, stereotype, have stereotyped people and assume that uh, because they live in poverty uh, that they are, they're looking for a handout uh, as opposed to a hand up. And um, I think oftentimes we put them in a box and we put all those who live in poverty in a box. Um, But the reality is there's different layers of poverty. Uh, There's situational poverty, which many of us who uh, could find ourselves there at any given day or time, uh, those who are living from paycheck to paycheck, all it would take was uh, them to lose their job or to not get a paycheck, and they may find themselves in dire straits and in poverty. There's a health problem or something. Or health problem, exactly. Um, there's generational poverty, those who have grown up in it, and it's kind of just been handed down, and that's the only life they know. And so oftentimes, in fact, I learned something else about poverty. The average person that starts out in poverty starts out at the age of 13. Things get tough at home. Parents don't want them around no more and tell them to go. Uh, They go live with a friend for a little while, and next thing their parents say, hey, what are you doing here? You need to go. And they live with another friend, and before they know it, they have nowhere to go. And uh, when that kid's at 13, 14, next thing they're on the streets just trying to make it and hustle, uh, they end up dropping out of school. And then when we see them at 18, 19 with a sign asking for food and we tell them to go get a job, we don't think about the fact that what phone number are they going to give? What address do they have to give? We don't think about those things of people who live in poverty and how it often starts, and it begins a ripple effect. For that reason, we want to make sure that we were doing our part in helping uh, to provide uh, kids with opportunity for education. Education is certainly a way out of poverty. And uh, so we want to begin to work with families, make sure that they have food, make sure that they have clothes, make sure that they have the essentials, and then begin to train them and to teach them. Uh, And for that reason, one of the things Nehemiah Project is getting ready to launch in uh, 2018 is the financial literacy program and entrepreneurship. Uh, The financial literacy program, many people are not aware of the fact of the power of a 720 credit score. Hmm. And uh, so we want to begin to teach people through financial literacy uh, how to plan for the future. And we want to start at a young age, and preferably college uh, success, we're even implementing that in there as well, uh, financial literacy for middle school and high school kids. And so uh, we have a mentorship program in there. And so we have uh, college prep classes, and so we're preparing these kids for the future as well as giving them financial literacy classes. Um, Can you talk about
0: some of the 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 ways that financial literacy can help solve some of these problems? Because I I, I think a lot of people if they grow up in the right situation then you know they get maybe a checking account when they're a teenager Mm -hmm. and they have mom and dad to kind of help them learn to balance a checkbook and they they learn about saving but if you're growing up in poverty, you're moving from house to house. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you maybe don't have parents at all. You right. just it's it's cash only, and you yeah. spend it when you get it, and you don't know.
1: Right. And, and that's exactly right. With those who live in poverty, they have no sense of uh, the importance of a 720 credit score. Uh, therefore, uh, they spend, and they sp- uh, and oftentimes they're spending trying to keep up for the old saying with the Joneses. Uh, They've learned that by having certain things, whether it's Nike tennis shoes or a plasma TV or certain clothes or certain brands of clothes, that that's how you fit in and therefore they will spend to try to fit in uh, from a social aspect as opposed to understanding the power of the dollar and the importance of having a checking account, having a savings account. And so, uh, therefore, they, um, they have a warped sense or a, a wrong idea of what it means to fit in culturally. And so we want to begin to um, help them to understand that there's power in having a bank account and having an understanding of how money operates and works and putting some money in a 401K, developing that kind of a mindset of what do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? When do you want to retire? And if you want to retire at a certain age, then you need to take certain steps to make sure you're financially secure. And so those are some of the things we want to do along the way uh, with our financial literacy program. Not only for our kids, because the other thing I found out when I got here at St. John, I did a demographic study, and I discovered that in a five-mile radius of St. John, there were 16,000 dropouts five years ago. Uh, There's roughly 53,000 people that live in a five-mile radius of here. Uh, That means a quarter of the people are dropouts. About 70% of the people live in poverty around this church. And so uh, that became a rallying cry for us to say, hey, we've got to help to better the um, environment, the quality of life for people, as well as our community community. And so that's another reason why the financial literacy, not only for the kids, but also we want to do it for the adults. Uh, The other thing we want to do is entrepreneurship. And um, one of the things I've been doing a lot of research in micro business and micro business or small businesses uh, make up about 92 percent of all the businesses in the United States. And uh, in poor, impoverished communities, in fact, it's a one point eight seven trillion dollar revenue that comes from those who start small businesses. How do you
0: define a a micro-business? I mean, is there a
1: certain... Micro-business is those businesses that have anywhere from one to three employees. No more than three, but one to three. What I see here in the north side is we have a lot of uh, men uh, who have skills, whether it be um, framing skills, roofing skills, handyman skills, plumbing skills, Uh, but no real sense of how to turn that into a viable business. And so we want to help to train them and teach them how to go from just being a person that's doing things on the side just to make ends meet to turning it into a real viable business where they can be a handyman who has a trailer, who Mm -hmm. has tools, equipment, who has cash flow and those type of things where they're able to operate as a legitimate business now.
0: And you, you know, you you started a lot of these programs after coming to St. John. How mm-hmm. have how have you gotten your church members sort of on board with with all of these initiatives? Was that hard, or is it, it natural?
1: It was well. As I said, St. John is unique, and one of the things they were looking for, unbeknownst to me before I got here, was someone that would um, take them to the next level. Um, and in doing that, they knew that they were going to have to be willing to be open to change. Uh, we all know change is never easy, um, but when I got here, like I said, the very first thing I did was a demographic study. When I revealed um, the numbers to them, they were stunned, to say mm-hmm. the least. And uh, they immediately said, well, what's, what's the remedy? What are we going to do? And so uh, as I began to lay out the college success initiative, the bus tours, and The various things for education and education reform and things of that nature—they got on board very quickly. Uh, In fact, for the most part, they were pretty excited about uh, wanting to be able to have a real, viable impact in our community.
0: Okay, you—you talked about systemic problems in Amarillo. You know, this has been uh, this this past year has been one in which conversations about race have sort of. Oh, jumped up a little bit. Is that, is that something that you found coming from uh, the West Coast to Amarillo? Did you find the racial division to be any different from what you'd experienced there? I mean, is, is it unique here or is it the same everywhere?
1: It's unique here and quite different, though I must say in being honest that uh, we have racial issues throughout the country. Racism is an ongoing issue nationwide. However, I've discovered that depending on which region of the country you live in, the individuals of those regions view racism differently. Um, While there in the state of Washington, uh, there wasn't any certain areas of pockets, I should say, maybe the better word, of where it was overwhelmingly uh, depressed, um, run down, um, shoddy homes, boarded up homes, vacant lots, and things of that nature. Uh, you would have to do a lot of looking and driving around Vancouver to find a, a specific area where there was a lot of poverty and just run down homes and things of that nature. Where here in Amarillo, uh, it seems like there's an invisible force shield uh, that runs along the I-40 corridor, that everything north is those who live in poverty, those of ethnic color, Mm -hmm. uh, those of African-American and Hispanic descent, you stay over there, Uh, the refugees and community and that and what have you. Uh, Where the south side is for the educated, the well-off and the well-to-do. And so, while we may not say it's segregation, as yet, uh, has remnants of segregated. Well,
0: it's happened. Whether it was happened, you know, it, it happened on purpose or right. not. It
1: exactly. It's reality. And it and it, it, it's, it it sounds of those things we heard in the old days. The other side of the tracks, and um, the other thing that I've noted, and that's because of those who come to my church now after discovering there was a north side of town, um, when those who come in to seek employment, engineers at Pantex, Bell Helicopter, uh, BSA, uh, wherever it may be, whatever the professional career is that they're coming here for, uh, when they get here uh, and they begin to search for a place to stay, whether it's a home or apartments or condominium, uh, they're never bought to the north side. Many of the African-Americans, my members here, uh, who later found out that there was a St. John, there was a black side of town. Um, The only thing they ever saw when they came into town, they were taken to all the homes, all the places on the south side of town. Uh, If they were engaged in church, they were told about the various churches on the south side of town. And yet, when they asked about um, a church of color, where they could be close to their cultural upbringing as it goes, as it goes for a church, um, they were often never told of any of the churches on the north side. It was as if the north side did not exist. And um, to me, that's a, a problem within the city of Amarillo that says, we want to make sure we keep the well-to-do, the well-educated. Even though they're African Americans, we will allow them to come to the south side because... They're engineers, they're nurses, they're lawyers, they're doctors, or whatever it is they may be. They're, they're managers. And um, Is
0: it more of an economic divide then, do you think, than a racial one? or?
1: And I think it's all of it. Okay. I, I think it is economic. Uh, I think it's um, educational divide. And those who live on the north side you know, are those who are the lower economic, social economic run of the people. And therefore, we want to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. uh and so that that's a problem I see here where uh in other places I live, whether it was California, whether it was uh Vancouver uh, where you chose to live was open so what uh, what
0: do we there. do about that reality? I mean, how do you how do you bridge that divide whether it's in housing or education or economics I mean all those things are tied up with, with racial identity, with with history. So how do you begin to move past that?
1: Well, that's one of the reasons for the shift in what we're trying to do with Nehemiah, with the economic development and teaching people uh, and training them at an early age. Uh, That's one of the reasons for the College Success Initiative and everything we do with the College Success Initiative. Understanding that there's power in education, and helping people to come up out of poverty, uh, you've got to start at the bottom. And when I say the bottom, that means with our youth, with our young children, and uh, begin to work in their lives. And then you will have an opportunity to begin to work in the lives of their parents. Uh, Once they see that you have an interest and a vested interest in their children, uh, you have a lot better chance of being able to invest in their lives as well. And, And I also think that the city itself, has to have a mindset that says, or a vision. Let's, I, I, I like the word vision better. A vision that says we want Amarillo to be inclusive of all of its citizens. And uh, as a result of that, we need to also find ways and seek ways to partner with those in the north side of town, the east side of town, uh, the northwest side of town, uh, to say how can we partner um, to bring in a better economic development, economic growth, uh, social economic growth, and all of those things that are conducive for allowing this, uh, the north side, the east side of town to redevelop and to grow. And then also, educational-wise, uh, AISD and all the others have to come on board to say, hey, let's, let's partner to, with the right people and the right organizations, the right groups to get this done. St. So John has
0: even out. partnered with, you know, with other churches in the city to to work together.
1: We have, we partner with several churches throughout the city. We've partnered with Paramount, uh, we partner with Power Church, which is a Hispanic church on the east side, Manny de los Santos and Andrew A there at Paramount. We've also partnered with Redeemer Church, Dr. Richie. And so we've we've tried to partner with as many churches as we can to Um, do what we can to improve the quality of life for the people of Amarillo.
0: You know, uh, conversations about race are uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, Have have you, you know, over the past year with with national politics, have have you had more of those conversations? Are are people more open to that or is it making it more difficult?
1: You know, as sad as it is, I I think everyone's kind of going to their corner and Uh, or to their cocoon, and just kind of huddling in uh, is what I've noticed. Um, I think there's a lot of conversations within our own culture Um, here at the church. A lot of the members here want to speak about the race issues that we've got going on. I am fortunate that I'm able to, because of my background and where I've come from, I'm very open to talking to a lot of people about it. And so I find myself personally talking uh, to a lot of people here in Amarillo about race and the problems that we have and the systemic problem uh, that it presents and, and is presenting to us here. But overall, I don't think we're really wanting to pull that scab off mm-hmm. and really put the salt in there, uh, allow the burn to take place uh, because it hurts uh, when you... Um, have got to talk about those tough issues. But we're really, and I I guess I want to say this, we've got to really be honest as a country and understand that racism has never really left. Uh, When you think about Reconstruction and uh, the Civil War, um, immediately after emancipation, racism began to rear its head once again very quickly, and a different form of slavery became... A reality. Understand history, you know that the Black Code came into existence almost immediately, and the Black Code was just another form of slavery, uh, just a different name. And uh, so the battle has been going on and on and on for many years. It just keeps changing its form and its shape. And um, until we decide we're going to have an honest conversation about racism and how we get over this, um, I once said and I'll get off this subject, but I once said...
0: <laughs> I think it's a subject that we need to talk about, so I, you I stay once,
1: on it. I once said that um, a city is only as strong as its weakest community. and Wherever the weakest community is in a city, that's all the stronger that city is. Um, you can live in your gated communities or other communities or wherever it is, that's, um, but you still have problems. Until we decide to come together, we can never be whole as we need to be and should be and as I believe God wants us to be. So,
0: knowing that, what can someone like me do? Like, like, what what is the role of? You know, I'm a white guy. Uh, I grew up in Southwest Amarillo. I still live in Southwest Amarillo. What can a person uh, in that situation do to help? What does someone in Amarillo need to do to make it a better place in terms of the division between races, the division between the economic structures? I mean. Hmm.
1: I think first and foremost, you got to admit there's a problem. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times um, we are put our head like the ostrich in a hole. And we act as if it's not real. Uh, we make every kind of excuse to downplay the seriousness of racism. And I think until we can admit that there's a problem, we can never get the right people to the table. And uh, we can never have an honest conversation because we're always living in another world other than the reality of what it really is. And um, I think that's the first step is admitting there is a problem. Once we can admit there's a problem, now we have the opportunity to bring the right people to the table to address the issues and the seriousness of the issues. And I think the, the other thing is once you admit there's a problem, then you have to come to the table with an open mind not a preconceived, not a stereotype, but an open mind. I can share a story. Uh, when I was in California, and I'll never forget it, uh, we were having some some issues there in the neighborhood where I pastored. And I lived 22 miles one way from my church because I wanted to make sure my kids went to, as they were growing up young, I wanted to make sure they were going to a school with a high-quality education. And um, because I was very vocal about Uh, Some of the things that were going on in our community as it pertained to race. uh, Back then, it was uh, driving while black was a big issue, meaning police would just follow you and follow you and follow you. And uh, in an attempt to drive their point home, let me know that I was not above uh, being followed. Uh, On several occasions, I had law enforcement follow me one way, 22 miles to my front door from my church, when I would leave in the evening. Um, In fact, they were going out of their jurisdiction to follow me. (laughs) Um, But I I give that to say that oftentimes we hear these stories and from the white community, they, well, that can't be true because it's never happened to me. Uh, But it's real in our life. And when you live that and you understand that uh, you're being done that way because of the color of your skin, it can become a little uh, disheartening. uh, And you begin to wonder, where is my place in this community? Where is my place in this country? We love uh, the America, the United States of America. Um, and so those are just, that's just one story. I could give you a few others, but uh, my point is we have to be honest about racism, that it is a problem. Uh, we also have to come with an open mind and not a closed mind or stereotype that this is a certain person and this is who this person is. and. And we close off any other idea of saying, let me be open to who this person really is.
0: Are you hopeful at all?
1: I am. Do you think we can change? I, I don't think we can. I know we can. I know that change is possible. I know we can change. Personally, um, I feel very, very hopeful um, in what I see going on here in Amarillo. Um, I've I sensed that things have changed just in the five years I've been here. And um, people are trying to get to that place of an understanding. I don't think people uh, inherently don't want to get along. I, I I just refuse to believe that. People are not born racist. They're not born prejudiced. That's a top behavior. And so when we can, uh, again, get to the table and begin to understand that we've got to begin to change the way we um talk to our children about other ethnicities and things of that nature, it gives us hope. And so I do have hope.
0: Amarillo's real estate market is booming and there are a ton of real estate companies to choose from. The one that I recommend personally is Wick Realty because Wick just helped my wife and me buy and sell a home. Now, we've done it before uh, for sale by owner. We've gone through the process sort of on our own, um, but this time there's, there's just so many intangibles, so many unpredictable elements that can fall into uh, the, the process that it can make it really stressful. And so we wanted to use a professional this time, and we chose Wick Realty. And there was not a moment in the process that we regretted that choice. There just are so many moving parts and so many documents to sign when, uh, when you're buying or selling a home. There are offers to deal with, there are contracts, inspections, the timing of the closing, the process of moving out of one place and into the other. You just want a professional, an experienced professional to handle that for you, and that's what Wick did for us. Katie Wick and her agents are invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. To check out their listings or start the process of buying and selling your home, go to wickrealty.com. W-I-E-C-K, realty.com. Okay, we're back with uh, Pastor Anthony Harris of St. John Baptist Church. Anthony, this is the, the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight direct questions, and your job is to answer those as honestly as, as you want to be, but I mean, you're a pastor, so I hope it's pretty honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, to be honest, uh, Okay, I shoot straight from the hip.
0: <laughs> All right. When right, uh, first question, when you talk to someone outside the panhandle, how do you describe this area?
1: I describe it as an area that has great potential uh, because of its location. Uh, six hours roughly from Dallas, six hours from Denver, uh, four hours from Oklahoma City, and four hours from Albuquerque, and so we are uniquely positioned in the panhandle here to um, really do some tremendous things but yet have some what I believe is welcoming growth, uh, growth for the positive. And um, one of the things that excites me is the new baseball uh, team coming in and those things. It means that quality of life can be improved dramatically. And um, while saying that, I tell people while we have great potential because of our location, I also sense that, uh, in many regards, we lack a true vision of how to get there, how to accomplish the greatness that Amarillo could be because of its unique location.
0: What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo?
1: (laughs) This here is um, a tough one. I I really don't have, in the sense, when I think of a restaurant, I think of uh, evening dining, And me and the wife after a long day going out and uh, eating dinner together. So from that regards I don't have uh, a favorite restaurant because we cook at home probably 98% of the time. We may go out once a month Um, but if I had to just choose one that I enjoy going to and it's just for lunch is the panhandle. Uh, uh is just one of my favorite lunch places.
0: Panhandlers Cafe at Emerald yes, uh, National Bank in yes, the basement sir. there. Yep. So you guys haven't found the, you know, top shelf, evening sort of dining place yet.
1: No, not yet. But if someone has one out there, mm-hmm. invite us over. Let
0: you know there's and, there's uh, a good we'll customer come. to be had. There you go. What does amarello have too much of?
1: Fast food. Too many fast food restaurants. <laughs> um, I'm kind of a health nut and uh, like healthy eating, and so um, too way too many fast foods. And, and I know people say, well, wait a second, you're talking about the economy and <laughs> jobs and all that. Uh, I just think we could uh, cut down on some of the fast foods.
0: And that's a particular problem for people in poverty, right?
1: Exactly. People in poverty, that's a quick way for them to get something that they believe, well, first of all, is cheaper. Uh, but it's not always healthier, so they pay for it on the other end.
0: What does Amarillo not have enough of?
1: Organic food places, stores, organic stores. Um, My favorite store is Whole Foods. I love Whole Foods, Trader Joe's. That's the one thing I've missed here more, probably more than anything. Uh, One of the things I've missed more than anything is being able to go to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or organic store and buy healthy foods, uh, the, the stuff that I really enjoy.
0: So. And we've got a couple of places like yeah. Natural Grocers or mm-hmm. Market Street, but, I mean, again, yeah. those are pretty far from the people who live in this neighborhood.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Um, what type of Amarillo weather do you love most? Heat. You came from the
1: Northwest I and you like had rain heat, and stuff. I so heat, heat and more heat. Okay. <laughs> I love the heat here. That's the one thing I do love here is the weather. Um northwest it rains about 320 days out of the year and it's not unusual to go two three weeks and never see the sun so most days here you're going to see the sun at some point in time or another
0: um okay so this question what is your favorite local non-profit organization you've actually started a couple of different
1: non-profit organizations Nehemiah. anybody out there listening you want to help uh promote education and uh Financial literacy, you can donate to Nehemiah Project.
0: What surprised you the most when you arrived here?
1: I think the slow pace. When I got here, I felt as if I went backwards 20 years, 25 years. The pace was just so slow. Um, when you come from a very progressive place, uh, whether it's Sacramento, uh, Washington, Seattle. Uh, I lived in Seattle's where I went to school, University of Washington. When you come from those progressive places like that, if you didn't do it yesterday, you lost out. And uh, I have many people here tell me, slow down, slow down. Whenever we get to it, we get to it. So uh, the slow pace and and just some of the mindsets and the way people think took me back the way I thought or the people I uh, worked with thought 20 years ago.
0: Is that a good thing personally or is it a, a hard thing for you? Did you need to it, slow down some, or
1: it was very hard, very challenging, uh, because I'm very progressive, while at the same time I'm very conservative. <laughs> it's an odd mix. It's a oxymoron. But I, I want to drive. I want to uh, because I see the great opportunities here, and sometimes when you slow down the pace, you miss out on those opportunities. Uh, Is something I read the other day. Um, my wife posted it to her Facebook page, running water, you only feel it once because it never comes back. And so when you put your hand in the water, it's running by, you just get that one feel of that piece of that water. And so we got to take advantage of every opportunity and time is ticking, time is running. And at the end of the day, it's about the lives of those that we seek to serve and minister to.
0: Okay. Final question. As a whole, what are the people of Amarillo best at?
1: as a whole
0: yeah as a city what's what's amarillo best at as a city
1: diagnosing problems they see the problem they diagnose the problem but again they're so slow in their processes Mm -hmm. um, that oftentimes i think by the time we implement the program or whatever it is that the diagnosis say we need to do um, we are already behind the eight ball and we're beginning all over again and realizing well, we're gonna have to change because it's taking so long.
0: So we can recognize so, it, but we we we're not fixing it, but it.
1: Getting it fixed quick, yeah.
0: Okay. And then uh Pastor Harris, I like to end every episode by just asking the guests to endorse something. Um, something that's important to you, something that you want, you know, whoever's listening to experience for themselves. What would be your endorsement?
1: You know, I I thought about this question and um I initially I struggled. While I knew what I wanted to endorse, but I kind of struggled. And I just came back to my first initial, what I knew I wanted to endorse. And that is, uh, we have two of the wonderful colleges here, AC and WT. And I think we sell ourselves short by not promoting and endorsing AC and WT as a whole. I've lived, like I said, I've, I've, I've lived multiple places not only in my pastoring, but other cities. I spent some time in Virginia area and California, L.A., Sacramento, of course. But we have two marvelous colleges here that rival any colleges that are out there. Education is so important. And AC has wonderful programs that I think oftentimes we don't take advantage of and we don't advertise and get out there and let people know. They have a wonderful nursing program the uh, trade schools, uh, whether it's the welding program, diesel program out on the East Campus. uh, Diesel mechanics make $50 an hour. Yeah. I mean, and not everyone's going to a four-year college to get a bachelor's degree, but we ought to promote uh, those schools. Uh, We've got one of the better fire training academy schools uh, that they have. Aeronautics, um, you name it, they've got it out there. And and uh, with us having a junior college, with uh, the mindset they, they have, they can adapt curriculum very quickly to the needs of the area. And so I think uh, if I was to endorse and promote, and I really I'm promoting them as along with WT. WT has an excellent engineering program. I don't even think a lot of people know they have a great mm-hmm. engineering program. And so engineering is um, really the future job that's out there along with tech. And I think we need to come alongside of our, coll- our two wonderful colleges here and help them to identify what the next pressing needs are that we need in Amarillo. Because at the end of the day, unless we have a well-educated workforce, we can never draw corporations and companies here to expand Amarillo's capability and its impact here in the Panhandle. So I would encourage any kid, if you're not going to leave go out somewhere else to college we've got two wonderful colleges here if you're not a four-year person and not going into military uh, go get a trade Uh, truck drivers you know depending on where you drive you make upwards of a hundred thousand a year and so uh, we have some great opportunities here and those are two great colleges that we're fortunate to have we're blessed to have them here in our backyard
0: anthony thanks for being on the show i appreciate it thank you And that concludes another episode of the Hey Amarillo podcast. Look, thank you for listening. I I know this episode was a little bit longer than most of them are, uh, but I think this is a conversation worth having, Uh, whether the the topics make us uncomfortable or not. um, Thinking about Amarillo's future, thinking about the ways that our city can continue to grow and evolve uh, and, and sort of reach its potential is going to require these kinds of conversations. So thank you for listening. I, I would ask that uh, if you'd like to review the episode, to do that on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. Follow us at hey Amarello on Twitter or also on Facebook. And if you don't mind, tell a friend about the podcast. Let them know that uh, there's a local podcast that interviews local people. And uh, if they're into podcasts, I, I think that they would like it. So make sure they know about it. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Wick Realty. This is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.